Hark the bardic paladin Who sings and plays again He tells the tales of glory And weaves a magic story He'll join you at your table And ask you to share a fable Heroes of humble origin Villains who must be fought again No matter their skill or prowess The people in life are countless so we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Episode 104 Bo Zhang and Paul the Avenger. Welcome to Sidekicks and Sidequests the Dungeons and Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwelgi, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Legal Kimchi's table in the Levitating Platter. Hello, welcome to another exciting episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests, the best unofficial Dungeons & Dragons podcast, in my humbly biased opinion. I've got an awesome guest for you this week, but before I get to my guest, I have to leave you in suspense with an ad read. From our first sponsor, Plus One EXP, Tony Vicenda is the mastermind behind this mastercraft of beard balms, game design, and community building. He's got beer bombs named after all of the basic stats from D&D, so get a can, apply it to your face, smell that sweet aroma and that sweet victory that comes along with increased strength, dexterity, charisma, and more. Beards and Beyond is, of course, the indie RPG that helped to launch, but that's not the only game that Tony's worked on, no siree. He's also worked on games like Repugnant, I Toaster, Down We Go, Through the Void, Vamp Nugula, and Brandstanding, you know, just to name a few. If you support Plus One EXP, either by buying something on their website, going to Tony Plus One, plus is spelled out one, dot itch, dot io. It all helps funnel into the Plus One Forward program, which seeks to support additional indie tabletop content creators to continue making awesome stuff. So I would highly encourage you to follow Tony and Plus One EXP on all of those social media sites, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and be sure to join the Plus One EXP Discord as well. In order to keep up with all the awesome various projects that are being worked on, as well as upcoming interviews, one shots and actual plays of some of these other amazing games. So if you don't mind, please go to the website plus one exp.com. When you see that affiliate code box, type in the word Randolph, like in episode number two of this podcast, and you'll get some savings on your purchase at no extra cost to you. So again, that codes Randolph at checkout on the website page plus one exp.com. All right. I have been told by my imaginary lawyer off to the side that I should not delay any further and I should introduce you henceforth to our aforementioned guest. So hello, would you care to introduce yourself? Tell us who you are and what is it that you do? I, I am not the imaginary lawyer. I just want to make that absolutely clear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey folks, I'm Legal Kimchi. I also go by Alex. Uh, you can check me out on YouTube. I make video essays with regards to TTRPG topics, uh, sometimes political science topics, uh, and whatever tickles my fancy. But I've been a long, lifelong player of uh, TTRPGs. Uh, I like to consider myself a second generation player. Because... Mm. Uh, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons literally has helped me learn how to read. So, really? <laughs> and uh, it's it's been a part of my bloodline, my personal life for decades at this point. Was it a family member that introduced you to the hobby, to the game? My dad, actually. Oh, that's oh, cool. Straight pipeline. So my my dad was at uh, at university in Indiana. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, then he was in the army. And there's a lot of D and D in the Midwest in the seventies at that time, like he was there right when all of this was happening. So I think it was like late seventies, early eighties. He really got into it. And so again, before I was even born, the game was in the family. So we have three generations, three generations playing. Wow. In my family. 
that's awesome. See, yeah, I've got a very small child. And uh, I know when I had my guest Nicholas Cartarelli on, he recommended a website, TTRPG Kids. And so he was saying, oh, with my children, my youngest was two and a half when we got you know them to start playing D&D. So I was like, oh, great. I've got six months before I need to crack open the three core books and start teaching my son how to play the Math Rocks game. So, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe I can find a good resource and and uh, and get him introduced to the hobby, just like you have. Which is a perfect segue to the question of: Do you currently, or have you ever played D anD D before? It sounds like your father was playing, you know, the OG version of it. I imagine you've worked your way through the editions, plus some. Yeah, um, I, I got in in second edition, though I grew up with the first edition books. Okay, mm. so. And it's funny because my dad didn't actually get into D&D proper first. He played Empire of the Petal Throne. Oh, I'm not familiar with this. Okay, so Empire of the Petal Throne is this wild thing. Little warning to folks, don't look this up. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, then I guess I don't have to put it in the show notes. But uh, Empire of the Petal Throne was created before D&D. Not as an RPG, but as a fantasy setting. And then D&D comes around and they do a tie-in and create this game, Empire of the Petal Throne, uh, where they use this amazing world and basically put on the original D&D rules to it. And that's how we got into the hobby. Turns out the creator of Empire of the Petal Throne, huge neo-Nazi. And that's not just me saying huge mm-hmm. neo-Nazi because he was like a racist or he said some really bad things. Like he wrote for neo-Nazi publications ah. and made neo-Nazi books. Like one of his books outside of the Tecumel Empire of the Petal Throne series, was literally on, this is the blip from the back cover, sometimes the good guys lose. Like when the Nazis fell in 1945. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah. So it's a what if alternate history if the Nazis, after losing World War II, created uh, secret underground cells and started... Well, in our language, terrorist attacks against the United States and their language revolution um, to overthrow the American government and finally win. So like he's not the best. Mm. Like, don't don't go buy that. It's not a good game either. Uh, We have better games nowadays, but (laughs) sure, yeah, you have to learn your history. So then that way you don't repeat it. Yeah. But nobody knew that at the time, right? Because he had mm-hmm. two different pen names that he was writing in because he had the oh. fantasy setting in one name and the other stuff in the other name. So nobody who was playing Empire of the Petal Throne knew that this guy was a neo-Nazi. But suffice to say, my dad hasn't played it in, you know, 40 years. So Right. <laughs> I've watched some of your videos, especially on the politics, and you're talking about your homebrew world and how you've established like these different rulers and stuff like that. So I'm sure if he already doesn't have a group that he's playing with i'm sure you've corralled him in and you're like look at this much better setting that i've created and he's like oh yeah this is my jam this is my bread and butter oh he he abandoned empire of the petal throne back in the 80s so Mm. like it it wasn't like a pull him in plus we have a family game that's been running for years uh so that's all three generations play although i haven't played as much i'm the dm for the group now Mm -hmm. i haven't played as much because I'm about to have kid number three. So we're getting prepped for that sort of thing. Ah, Congratulations. This is a pro family podcast. So congratulations. And uh, I'm sure it is the grandfather and the grandchildren that are conspiring to throw all of your plans littered with monkey wrenches and all sorts of things with their silly ideas. It is my brothers who also play not as nefarious. (laughs) And you would think that having two older brothers in the group, they would be the ones throwing you under the bus constantly because mm-hmm. of sibling rivalry. They're actually the most role playingist and let the DM do his thing players in the entire group. My dad <laughs> and my brother's kid are just, hmm, it's good times. Hmm, this dangerous button we shouldn't push. Let's push it five times just to see what happens. Because, you know, you're talking about a different generation. My dad comes from a generation where it's like, oh, this character died. Well, I got six more. So let's go. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, this is my one character. I spent an entire weekend learning his lore and backstory and creating a whole mythical realm based on him. I can't let him die. My father has one player character. He has 47 versions of it, but it's basically the one guy. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? More power to him. He enjoys playing it. And that's the key. Like, Mm -hmm. if you like playing that, 
keep playing that. I was going to say, are we on to Bob the 48th now at this point? Like my uncle who sadly passed away, he was in the game as well. He played Paul the Avenger a lot, like in every (laughs) campaign. And he would just show up and we'd be fine. Paul, human fighter. Like that was it. The whole, every single time. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say now that we have the language from the MCU, like with Loki and variants and stuff like that. Now it's like, it's pretty easy to adopt that terminology of like, ah, this is just the variant of Paul from X universe. That's now joined our game or whatever. (laughs) You see, that's, that's another thing. You didn't even need to hand wave it. Don't Mm -hmm. explain it. It's just a different Paul. Who's the same. Like (laughs) it's, The world just accepts it. Like, yeah, that's that's Paul. Yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect segue into the namesake of our show, you know, being sidekicks and side quests after all. Who is your favorite NPC or sidekick character, whether they're from one of your illustrious games, video games, movie, film, television, etc.? Why is this character your favorite sidekick or NPC? Okay, so does it have to be a sidekick? Because with the NPCs, like when I think of NPCs, I also include villains. Or a possible villain. Oh yeah, for sure. I have two that I think are my favorite. One for tabletop and one mm-hmm. for a video game. My favorite video game villain is John Conrad from Spec Ops The Line. Okay, I'm not familiar with this one. Oh my goodness. This is a whole thing. So Spec Ops The Line is, for lack of a better term, a third person shooter, like military shooter, mm-hmm. that's kind of okay decent gameplay but it's an adaptation and they never tell you this this is something you figure out over the course of time of joseph conrad's the heart of darkness Ooh! so it's basically apocalypse now Mm -hmm. in dubai in the modern age and at the end of it and this is a huge spoiler so i I don't know if i should i should i go into spoilers should i just spoiler alert yeah spoiler (laughs) alert just skip ahead now if you don't want a spoiler so Joseph Conrad, you, when you meet Joseph Conrad at the end of the game, he turns to your character and starts speaking to you as a player and says things that make sense in both. He's like, why are you here? You're here because you wanted to be something that you're not, which is a hero. And it was just, you're playing this game. And he's like, you've just murdered all these people to get to this point. Why? What was the point? You could have stopped at any time. You could have put this game away. You could have just turned it off. You could have walked away from the console, but you didn't because you wanted to chase that feeling. And I was just like, it's just a gut punch Ooh. because you're like, yeah, yeah. I'm was playing this game because it's a silly action game. And I wanted to feel like a hero and disconnect. And he's like, can you do like, think about what your actions are here. Think about what you did over the course of this video game where mm-hmm. you're a military shooter and you're just killing tons of people. Mm. There's a moral aspect to it. Like, what does that do to your mind? So, yeah, like it was it's I love that moment and creating moments like that in tabletop. It was a character that I created, which is uh, uh, Lady Jenike. Now, I got the original idea for this from Matt Colville. Mm. We love him on this podcast. (laughs) So if you know Matt Colville then you've probably heard of like Lady Serial, the Vampire Queen. Yeah. And I was like, that's a cool idea. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> so the Vampire Queen in my world is an elf queen. Sure. Who decided to create an area that protected her people. Okay. So it's like a wasteland that was killed, like was destroyed in a war against the emperor. And okay she creates this like defensive bubble that has made her land impenetrable. And the defensive bubble is not like a literal bubble. It's just her military is so indomitable that Mm. she can't defeat the emperor, but she makes it nearly impossible to conquer her territory. Does she make it so that there's like perpetual darkness in the land? Exactly. Yeah. And so then, you know, by her natural abilities as a vampire lord lady, then she can just make the, the natural area spooky or something. Yeah, it's it's a spooky. Yeah, it's it's sort of raven lofty. Okay. And the thing about it is when the players interact with her, they don't know if she's evil or good. The vampire, oh, she's evil, but she's against the emperor, which means she's good. Mm. And 
The enemy, my enemy is my ally. Yeah, exactly. And the army that she has is entirely composed of the undead. Ooh, but her people are alive. My last campaign that I ran her in, um, the players meet up with her and all the people there love her because unlike any of the other nobles, when she's raising her armies, Mm -hmm. she doesn't ask them to fight for her. She doesn't ask them for taxes in gold. She doesn't send them off into wars. None of them know the war. They're protected by this undead horde. All she asks for is their blood. So they donate their blood to her to strengthen her so she can raise more undead. Mm. And she protects them. And so they're like, so she's just, she's taking your blood. Well, she is a vampire. Uh, But she's not taking my gold. Anything that I make, I keep. Because it doesn't go off to some lord to pay for their castle and their food. Now I'm just curious about the whole logistical operation of how they're acquiring all this blood. Is it just like, oh, here's a bunch of cows and stuff like that? No, it's from the people. It has to be human. (laughs) Oh, there's no loophole where they could just be like, here's our prize cow. He is full of all that grade A blood you could ever want. Yeah. So her rule is if you are a living subject and wish to have the protection of her armies, you have to give your blood. doesn't matter your age. doesn't matter who you are. You have to donate blood. If you don't, you're exiled from the kingdom. So that's the price you pay. But you keep all of your gains. You're not taxed on money and you are safe. There are no bandits. There are no monsters. It is entirely clean area. Wow. This weird eeriness where everything's clean and pristine. And yet it's like, oh, with the monthly, the monthly bloodletting into the goblet that we have to give to the skeleton who comes to the door to collect it or whatever. Everyone in the family, you know, prick your finger and put it into the blood goblet. Mm-hmm. No, like almost literally. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm talking about. So when the players see that, they have to make a decision. It's just like, okay, are we for this? Are we against this? Are we going to try to curry her favor? Are we trying to kill her? It becomes a whole thing. So I love that. And then to go along with the sidekick question, we like to ask, what's been one of your favorite side quests, either from RPG, video game, B-plot, from a movie, film, television, literature, etc.? And uh, why has this side quest been your favorite? Oof, that's a good one. That's one I'm, I'm probably going to have to think about. Not to be so self-serving, but I'm going to go back to RPGs on this one. This is an encounter design that I use in a lot of my games. And uh, it is the players are traveling on the road and they come across an ambush and it's orc bandits. Okay. Okay. If the players are just responding as normal, they kill the orc bandits. It's a very easy fight and they move on. Mm. If the players are paying attention and if they know me at all, (laughs) (laughs) they know that I don't throw straightforward encounters ever because why would you? Mm. they'll notice that there's a family hiding like just off the road in like a bundle of bushes or trees or something. And they'll realize that these orcs are just starving people who are desperate with rusty weapons, not because of some sort of barbarism or because of some sort of intrinsic evil that makes them road bandits or something. But there's like a desperate family trying to survive. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're trying to do it in the only way they know how. And so if the players respond and are able to defuse the situation, then they can create a bond with this family. And that will actually trigger something amongst the marginalized orcs in the land, because orcs are not treated well Mm -hmm. uh, in one of the areas. This depends on what part of my world they're in, but in this particular place where I put this encounter they will start currying the favor with orcs. And in their time of need, if they need one, they can ask some of the orcs and then like hundreds of them will come to support them because they showed them the humanity that no one else did. And because of their showing of compassion, as opposed to murdering that small encounter comes into a play chip to a huge advantage later on. And then finally, to round out the personal interview section, we like to ask the question of what are you passionate about and why? Oh, so many things. So many things. 
I think it's analyzing things that I feel like get overlooked is something that I'm passionate about. The one thing, a criticism that I get a lot on my YouTube channel is you're overthinking this to which I generally respond. Maybe you're not thinking about it enough because maybe we should be thinking about things like this, like understanding the root origins of things like orcs and where they come from and why we have artistic representations of a specific way, what tropes they feed into, what biases might be under the surface there. You know, the things that you don't think about, but continue to perpetuate certain ideas or systems that are in play because no one takes the time to analyze it. And from my educational background, I have a degree in political science, specifically empirical political science, which is sort of like the data-driven study of politics. And uh, I have a law degree. So analyzing stuff and understanding where it's coming from is sort of a wheelhouse for me. Mm-hmm. And understanding that trends and systems and stories and tropes don't just appear out of nowhere. They come from places. And when you understand where the origins of what those stories come from, you can kind of understand what it may be perpetuating, which may not be a good thing. And knowing about these sort of things can allow you to make informed decisions on how you want them or if you want them in your game, in your fantasy, in your worlds. That's something that I've always found fascinating. And I get annoyed when sometimes people are like, you're overthinking this. No one cares. I care, number one, obviously. <laughs> Look and, at me. I'm the one with the YouTube channel, not you. If you don't like it, yeah. make your own YouTube channel. While I don't have a giant channel, a few thousand people apparently care. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. And I think it's important to understand because if we just scrape on the surface and do surface level observations, then we don't gain a full understanding. It's only when you really dig in and understand all the variables that you can look at it. And maybe you come out of there saying, this is irrelevant. This is relevant. But if you don't know any of those things to begin with, you don't even get to that point. Well, there we go. A very well articulated and defended closing statement here in the personal interview section that I think it's now time to head into a segment called NPC creation. Yay. All right. And our NPC creation segment is brought to you by you, the podcast audience and our patrons from Patreon. So now is the time in the show where we give a shout out to our comfortable patrons and above with a loud hurrah. So to you, Katie Downey, AKA Goblin Katie, Anson Jablinski and my parents, we say cheers. This again is for patrons who donate $2 or more a month. And all of these folks who are my current patrons are wealthy level patrons, which means they get to introduce an element of chance to our random tables, which we might get to use here today. So if you want to learn more information, why don't you go on down to the show notes below, go to my podcast website, or just go directly to patreon.com forward slash sidekicks and side quests in order to get these sweet, sweet details, learn about our tiers, help us expand our operations at the levitating platter in this demiplane and worlds beyond. All right. So we were discussing before we hit aforementioned record button that I believe today we're going to kind of uh, outline a character that you've already got that you'd like to share with all of us today. Yeah. um, I don't know if we can set up some of this for chance. Oh, yeah, totally. We can do a mix and match if you want. All right. All right. Yeah, I, I have a general outline, but a lot of it couldn't be random. And I think I can gain some inspiration from uh, some randomness. That's how I create NPCs in my normal game. So, Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, we, we love to hear that. It's an idea mixed with dice. <laughs> there we go. That's the way we do business here. So for the first question, what is your character's name? If you have an idea or if you want to roll randomly, it's a D20. I have an idea for this one. Sure. I like doing this because I think it's underutilized and it can add some flavor to your game. I like using family members' names, especially if they're not standard. And by that, I mean English American, you know, run of the mill. Like my name's Alex. So that's Mm -hmm. one that's not, how should I phrase this? It's not one that's. I don't know. I think it's a pretty great name. (laughs) Wink. Great. uh, Yes. (laughs) Ah, terrible. 
Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go with uh, Bo Zhang. Ooh. Gang. How do I? Bo how, do I how do I spell that? B O space J A N G. Bo Zhang. Bo Zhang. Bo Zhang. Cool. All right. So we got a name. And then the next question that we have here is ancestry for the character. So if you got an idea or if you I'm want to randomize one, I want to roll that one. Okay. So it's 2d10s for a d100 effect. 43. 43. As I scroll down the list. Oh. <laughs> Bo Chung is a mimic. Ooh. <laughs> nice. <laughs> And then let's see, what is the job or role in society that we're going to normally find Bo Chang in? Um, this is either a D10 role or whatever you're thinking. I'm going to make something up for this one. I am inspired by this unique ancestry. I'm going to state that Bo Chang has assumed the role of magical armor. Oh, so he's literally just a piece of armor right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Ooh. one that protects the one wearing it and attacks a person close to it if necessary oh so it's like you could be wearing armor and be protected and then if an enemy gets too close it just literally like this uh, this uh, like bites (laughs) off like a little minion's head and it's just like oh my gosh i didn't know my armor could do that yes yes Ooh, that is cool that is a interesting take because i'm sure or I'm not sure, it would be presumptuous of me to assume, but are you familiar with the podcast Kill Every Monster? Yes. Okay, and they did an episode on the mimics. Their whole scenario they ran was like a mimic who starts off as a coin in a dungeon and then eventually just grows bigger and bigger and bigger to encompass a vault in a bank or something like that. But this is kind of like an opposite take. Instead of like a parasitic relationship, it's a symbiotic relationship of, Mm -hmm. hey, if I agree to be your armor and take damage for you, I can eat all the corpses you leave behind and stuff. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay, this is, oh man, all cylinders are firing in my brain right now, all three of them. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) You got one of them fancy three-cylinder brains, I see. I got a three-cylinder brain, let me tell you. And then let's see, how old is Bo Chang? I want to make, it's it's her, because I named it after my grandmother, my great-grandmother. Oh, wonderful. I'm going to say she's like... 80 years old 80 year old mimic okay yes long in the tooth i i love the idea of older characters and npcs is she the size of like an entire suit of armor because i think it was discussed or you know some people have discussed about like the idea of the longer that mimics are alive and they're eating material and they're gaining in like mass and stuff like that so like 80 years i don't know how big how big of a mimic are we talking? You know, I'm not as read up on the ecology of mimics to be able to state uh, how large it is. So I imagined her as kind of a breastplate size with a little bit of the skirt, like armor skirt. A finicky or just like hasn't been very hungry, I guess, for a long while, it seems. Or started off like really, really, really tiny and it took 80 years to get to that point or something. Could be, could be. Very selective diet on this one. Well, yeah, especially if if she prefers to stay in the form of an armor piece. She's like, mm-hmm. why would I want to be a dirty coin or like a rusty shovel? when I could be like a perfectly shiny piece of armor that I know people will want to pick up and use. See, I kind of think of her as like, instead of like eating and just getting larger, mm-hmm. she's eating and getting denser, Ooh. being more protective. Like she's Ooh. using those calories or those <laughs> nutrients to create like a hardened chitinous exterior oh. so that the older she's gotten, the more like tough she is. I feel like this has got to be like its own species or subgroup of mimics. You know, like this sounds like too unique to just be like, you know, whatever written lore is like, oh, some wizard smoked something and then thought, you know, it'd be a really great idea if I made uh, amorphous shape-shifting ooze that just terrified everyone's waking nightmares. No, this one is like, we've developed the symbiotic relationship and the more we eat, the denser we get so we can be like armor mimics maybe they call them armor mimics or maybe there's a cooler term that i can't think of right now that would be like mm. more in vogue in your world or something like that yeah yeah 
I like that. I like that. Just a separate species. Like everybody else gets variant species and nobody mm-hmm. bats an eye, right? This right. is going to be my variant species. Yeah. <laughs> if you had to describe any other physical characteristics, I mean, I know with mimics, sometimes it's hard because they can assume any form and we've already discussed some of the elements of her physical appearance, but are there any others or maybe this genus in general or something like that, that kind of sets them apart from the, the traditional D and D art book. That's, Oh, they're a giant treasure chest with a barbed tongue that shoots out to get you and stuff. I'm going to say in this circumstance, maybe not an armor mimic. Maybe we're calling this a metal mimic because it's heightened ability to mimic metal specifically. Okay. And there are some mimics in this species or ancestry that go into uh, armor and some that go into weapons, become swords, axes, okay. um, some that become tools, never embark on the adventuring life. But they specialize in their unique ability to turn minerals that they consume mm-hmm. into the composite steel of Ooh. their exterior. Kind of like an answer to Zorns, because Zorns are all about like, yes, we need to eat all the metals and the minerals, and then we leave whatever's like not cool behind, like magic items and stuff like that. And these are like, well, we have to compete against Zorn. I know we'll eat like organic matter and whatever else, and then we're going to turn super tough because we have to be able to survive in environments that coexist alongside Zorn, which are always going to eat metal and, and stuff like that. Zorn, just an underutilized monster. Indeed. Love Zorn. That can talk. That's why I've had to remind myself. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) That's why I put mimics on the list, because I'm pretty sure that mimics have the ability to communicate somehow. Like they can speak common or they can use like an amoeba appendage and like do common sign or something like that. Who knows? Or they could just blurble and then people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like peanuts, uh, like the teachers. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I understand what you mean. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Are there any other physical characteristics that we haven't explored or you feel like that's pretty good? That depends on the mimic. So let's... (laughs) Let's leave it there before we get too into the weeds. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then if you had to describe Bo Zhang with three adjectives, what three adjectives would you use? Loyalty. So I I imagine her as being fiercely loyal. She's not an armor because she necessarily wanted to be an armor from the very beginning, but she Mm -hmm. created a bond with, let's say, an adventurer who rescued her as a young tiny coin mimic (laughs) okay you know and nurtured her and saved her from a situation she just created this bond and said i will protect you and your lineage for as long as i can so Mm. as this mimic she has been passed down from generation to generation and is protected now the what great grandchild of the original adventurer which is why she's 80 okay (laughs) and did the original adventurer who found her give her this name or like did the mimic communicate like oh no this is what my name is see i always thought like if we're gonna create intelligent mimics they have their own names okay sure Uh, and it might have been a circumstance where it's like uh in the mimic tongue it is which is impronounceable by your human standards but Mm -hmm. the closest approximation would be pochang so loyal number one yeah um cautious she's always nervous about putting her charge into danger Mm -hmm. okay very protective very much like the parent who's like ah don't run into the street (laughs) yes yes okay almost yanking her ward away from danger so very very cautious i'm also thinking and this is something that actually comes from my mother just like a really condescending humor i don't know (laughs) what the word for that would be (laughs) okay condescending i'm trying to think yeah doing this podcast long enough you figure you you develop all the synonyms necessarily in your brain to think of it so kind of like backhanded compliments or is it like very insulting or like degrading or deprecating humor not self-deprecating but it's like deprecating to other people yeah yeah it's kind of like a well-meaning but also deprecating humor the kind of stuff that family when family says jokingly mean things to you sure 
because they're family and sometimes that's what you do to show your they affection. do it to bust your chops and just to get under your skin just so they can see you get a little riled up yeah exactly yeah yeah so it's good natured but you know kind of jabbing i could see her doing that as well that's what comes to mind <laughs> like you're going to put on the armor for the morning you're donning your armor and it's just like hmm you look like you've been putting on weight have you you've gotten one too many sweet rolls at dinner See, with my mother, it'd be the complete opposite. It'd be like, are you are you eating enough? Because, come on. Like, you got to finish your meals here, all right? <laughs> if you're going to carry me around all day, you're going to need some bulk. <laughs> Coco, where at the beginning, it's like, oh, I'm not that hungry for tamales. You will eat your tamales. Uh, Yes, of course. Give me more tamales. I will eat all of them. Yes. Yes, Grandma. Yes, Abuela. I will do that. I've been in that specific situation, and uh, I just, you know, I sat there. And I enjoyed myself. Okay. <laughs> so it's, stop fighting it. <laughs> awesome. And of course, we like all of our NPCs to have cool things on them, whether it's going to be a valuable item, a piece of lore, a secret, or an ideal or concept that they ascribe to. So I know sometimes when people bring characters or it's like a mix and match situation, there's a couple of different things that can apply. But if you just want to randomize like one thing, it's a combination roll of a D4 and then a D6. Ooh. You know, I like I like the idea of rolling this one. So like a D4. Mm -hmm. Let's see. I got a two. Okay, so this is a piece of lore. D6. Six. <laughs> okay, well, your answer was provided by previous guest, uh, Jonathan Blevins. Bo Chong knows the location of every dragon. <sighs> oh, see, the backstory revealed. Because yeah. now I'm thinking that the adventurer saved her from... A dragon's horde. Ooh. She was a coin that wasn't a coin. Mm. And because of that, she has the animosity against dragons because of their greed. Now I'm thinking of this like whole world building backstory of the conflict between mimics, like this specific metal mimic, mm -hmm. and dragons. That they Ooh. constantly get wrapped up in the dragon's horde. And because they're unable to leave mm -hmm. to eat. And they have to compete against mimic hordes. I think that was, wasn't that something in Fizzbins or one of these other books where they were like, a mimic that's as big as a dragon horde. Good luck fighting that. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. So there's like this natural animosity of dragons being tricked by mimics and thinking that they're treasure and mimics being eradicated by these super powerful dragons. Mm -hmm. And so them coming together, you know, and you have the dragon cave, which is actually a mimic. And the whole purpose of that dragon cave is to eat dragons yeah. to protect other mimics. So these mimics are like keeping this one mimic alive that's big enough. It's like the devastator combined transformer version of the mimic. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I could see that. I could see that she's wanting to slay all the dragons for what they've done to her people. Yeah, because maybe it, it, in this world, it was like the one horde mimic that protected all the other mimics. And then, you know, some alliance of dragons or whatever came together and destroyed it. And so she managed to survive that. And she's like, through that act, I learned where every other dragon was in this world. And if you want to seek glory, then you follow my advice and I will teach you where to go to slay all these dragons. I like it. I like it. <laughs> And then let's see, the final thing, of course, is we like to give all of our NPCs really cool side quests to offer up to their characters. So whether you'd like to think of something random or be inspired by some of our dice rolls, or you just want to roll another dice for the last one, which would be a D12. Hmm. hmm. Let's, let's roll some dice. You ask a lifelong D&D player what they want to do. Like, if their <laughs> response is not, I want to roll some dice, I'm, I don't know who you're talking to. Um, five. Five. Oh, okay. Well, you, you let me know if you think this sounds good. This was submitted by previous guest Andrew Strother of Roll for Persuasion podcast. The, so the NPC is supposed to be dying from an incurable disease and they need help to get the cure. So is this mm. something that would go well or do you want to try and take a chance and roll again on the D12 table? She's nearly at the end of, of Mimic lifespans. So let's, let's roll it again. Okay. I'm going to go, ooh, I got a 12. 12 okay your answer was submitted by a previous guest katie dematteis of the amateurish productions twitch stream play matchmaker for two people in the area that sounds something grandmotherly that's very grandmotherly i could see that happening 
I've seen these adventurers. I, I walk around as the armor and I see these two people in the village and I know that they're right for each other, but they're just too nervous to talk to each other. <laughs> she morphs into handcuffs and makes sure that they're, <laughs> they're stuck together. Stuck in the middle with you. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Do you think you can roll with that? Work with that? I could, I could work with that. I could work with that. You know? So now the question is, okay, so she's a suit of armor. She's a breastplate. And so she exists mm-hmm. in a location where she can regularly see people and she's trying to play matchmaker for two people in the area. Is she with this descendant lineage of the original adventurer? Is she sitting in some sort of curio magic item shop that just talks with the shopkeeper, but everyone's too weirded out to like get the mimic armor? And so all she has to do is just sit there and I see all the people out there and I know their lives and I know what's going on. And I know those two people would be right for each other if all they did was just talk to each other. I think of her as being with the descendant of the original adventurer, seeing the world. And because of the history of this particular fighting family and the prominence that they have, a lot of which is due to her protecting them through their mm-hmm. various misadventures. Um, she sees these two, oh my goodness, this is so on brand for me, two nations about to go to war. And a sort of Romeo and Juliet, if they only met, then mm. we could stave off disaster. Like the sweeping romances of old, yes. Exactly. So preventing war by getting these two kids together in a room so that they could actually fall in love. Creating a courtship. Part romantic comedy, part political decision. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So my question is, okay, so she sees these two people who belong to different nations, to different factions who she believes if they could get together, they could stave off this war from happening, whether that's permanently or at least delays it for a long time. My question is, is it her descendant that she's protecting? And, oh, I know every time we go into battle against this enemy adventuring party and the other person from that team, every time we go against them, I notice that you pull your blows just a little bit or like your heartbeat changes, your heartbeat flutters every time you lock eyes with them. Is it like that or is it like, the armor just happens to know like, oh, this is the prince from that nation. This is the whoever from this nation. And just for my 80 years, I know that if those two got together, then everything would be fine. Yeah, it's part of the idea that it wouldn't involve her human. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it would be something where it's part observational, where I think of this like conversation happening between uh, her and her wearer where she's like, I just think these two would be great together. And the wearer's like, oh, a romance between them could bring peace to the land. She's like, yeah, whatever. I I just think they they would make, you know, a cute couple. And she's just wanting to pursue that sort of. They would make cute babies. That's all I care about. (laughs) She's just wanting to pursue the the kind of cute coupleness of it. And he's like, be with an adventurer's mind of how do we solve the problem that's about to ravage the land and mm-hmm. she is really only concerned with protecting that family right mm-hmm. her temporal concerns beyond that are like killing dragons saving the family anything outside of that is none of my business <laughs> but these two i know that these two together that's just you know her hobby is bringing people together okay <laughs> <laughs> okay and so then the armor and the wearer are then going to the player characters to offer up this side quest. And so what is going to be the reward for success? So somehow the armor and armor bearer are coming to the party and being like, Bo Chong, she's pretty observant. She's pretty smart. You know, she's been around for 80 years. She knows what she's talking about. I'm tied up with this other thing. But, you know, she says that if you can just get these two to fall in love, then all will be well. So if they come back successful in this endeavor, what's going to be the reward? How is Bo Chang and the armor bearer going to reward the party? Oof. One could say that that type of work is its own reward. I think of this as sort of like a change of pace, right? When you're going through a long-term campaign, and this may be like the the golden goose uh, or the brass ring of D&D campaigns is having that long-term campaign, but I think you got to mix it up a little bit. It mm-hmm. can't all be 
fighting the evil guy, winning the battle, fighting the evil guy, winning the battle. Sometimes you mix it up and create political intrigue. Sometimes you mix it up and create soap operas, depending upon what your players are looking for. So when I see a circumstance like this, I see it as sort of courtly romance. I see it as like Jane Austen in a D&D game. And it's one of those things where it's just a change of pace. Maybe it's two or three sessions where you have a comedy of manners. It's a gala episode. Exactly. It's the party gets invited into a ballroom party and they're trying to get these two mixed up kids together. And (laughs) these two youths, (laughs) these whippersnappers. Um, And, you know, it just, it provides a diversion. What happens? They get the gratitude of these two people and it's not a, reward that's given to them by Bojang or something like that. It is a reward that much like the orc encounter that I was talking about beforehand, uh, just plays dividends later on because, oh, guess what? They become a happy couple and they do actually preserve it. And maybe some other thing happens. And now the adventurers need a favor from someone really powerful. Well, they know these two really powerful people who got together and owe their relationship to the party. And so they're like, okay, old friends. And it builds history with the relationship between them and these powerful individuals so that they can get sucked into it. So it kind of starts off as this sort of romantic comedy and then turns into a political play later on because now they have developed a relationship. They remember whomever like (laughs) they remember wesley from back at the ballroom (laughs) and wesley is internally grateful for what they did and this little diversion this little change of pace then has material effect when you switch back into uh intrigue mode when you switch back into adventure mode Mm -hmm. so it's one of those things where spices up the campaign it provides a little bit of uh, a different flavor to it for a little bit but then it can seamlessly just transition back to having effect on the game world in real ways that the players can see in the future. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, shaping the uh, trajectory of world events, I suppose, then in that case, the political landscape. But I probably would also say that probably a really easy segue into this whole dragon side plot of like, Hey, I happen to know where all the dragons are and there's a lot of treasure to be had. So if you can kill them all, then, you know, you can get yourself a mighty sum of loot. Maybe some of it you save for my armor mimic, my metal mimic uh, brothers and sisters out there and they have healthy places to grow and then they'll find other adventurers and then our lineage will continue strong into the future since our mimic horde overlord tragically passed away or whatever. And it's funny because you can utilize these mimics as the magical items in the treasure loots, mm-hmm. like mimic Holy Avenger, mimic Staff of the Magi, mimic Bag of Holding, which is basically just a mimic. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just a mimic but eating like, your stuff and then promising to give it later. Yeah, I, I just like your entire campaign, every magical item is magical because it's actually a mimic. And there we go. The plot writes itself. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a Flintstone sort of thing. The pig under the sink is the garbage disposal and the mimic is the garbage disposal. And then (laughs) I don't know. It's a living. (laughs) Yeah. You're mowing your lawn. It's a mimic. (laughs) (laughs) Mimics the campaign. Exactly. Oops. All mimics. There we go. (laughs) Well, we've learned so much about Bo Chong and uh, everything else that comes along with her fabulousness that I think it's time we take this into a random encounter. So the random encounter is a segment that has no ad read sponsorship at this point in the show. Uh, Of course, because I'm on this new platform, Zencaster, the deal is, is like, oh, you know, we'll, you know, people listen to your podcast through Zencaster and then we'll throw ads your way and it'll be cool and everything like that. And, um, you know, so I haven't gotten any traction there and that's okay. But I would encourage you to listen to me there and other platform places and, and stuff like that, because you know, I want to give people who have cool projects and other things of that nature uh, a chance. So if you have a YouTube channel, 
that's that's a hit on the internet or you have a Kickstarter or some other kind of Patreon and you want a, a little gold to grease the wheels with some promotion on a on a third tier moderately successful D&D podcast, then <laughs> hey, I am your man to do that. So I hope to hear from some rich noble woman or eccentric lord very soon. And you can contact me through the email sidekicks and sidequests at gmail.com to get those details rolling. So this is the random encounter section. And so what we like to do is a role play a vignette uh, of our NPC that we've created on the show, which I will be very curious to see how you articulate and translate how a mimic does communicate. Um, but I'm curious, what kind of scene are you interested in presenting? Is it Bo Chong and the descendant having this conversation back and forth about the side quest? Is it just Bo Chong and the armor wearer just having, you know, just some sort of normal conversation just to get an idea of the character? Are the two of them meeting a player character, one of my podcast adventuring characters to give the side quest or something else, uh, something else that's sparking your creativity and interest? All, All of that sounds interesting. Let, let's have a conversation between the wearer okay. and Bojang, maybe talking about the side quest. Okay, so this is like setting up the events before they go find someone else who can go deal with the side quest, as it were. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So do you have a name for this descendant uh, that we should refer to them as? You know what? Since we're doing family stuff, I'm going to shout out my dearly missed uncle and name the descendant Paul after his character. <laughs> Paul the Avenger, you said it was? Paul the Avenger. So, invitations have been sent throughout the land to prominent individuals, including nobles, heads of trade, and heads of state. It's a gala, a last desperate act to bring the leaders of the various communities in the area together. As the rising tension and the prospects of war just linger on the horizon there's a slight tinge of hope in the atmosphere but also a sense of dread and a sense that this may be the last time peace between all of these individuals and their people can be sustained before the outbreak of war being one of the storied descendants of this adventuring family paul receives the invitation and is going as the delegate of the family and representative there. But as the aspiring young adventurer who just wants to live up to the generations of his family as being the heroes of the land, but not yet proving himself yet, goes eager to see if he could solve it. Whereas Bojang is just really, really happy to be polished and ready to go to a party. (laughs) Yeah, so maybe at this point he's working and polishing Bo Chang, you know, because he knows that she enjoys like a nice party, uh, you know, a nice break every once in a while from the combat and everything like that. He's just talking back and forth. He's probably, you know, just explaining that like, oh, we got this invitation in the mail. And of course, I'll, I'll be wearing you underneath because you never know uh, when something dangerous might strike and you would fit very smartly uh, underneath my uh, my best evening wear. And then he makes a note of like, and then I have to I have to make sure I go to the tailor and make sure that he's got the right fabric because they said that the theme was hope springs eternal or something like that. Like some kind of theme. It's like, okay, the hope and, and eternal and spring and all that. So yeah, I probably have to go get some sort of color combination to that effect. It's kind of like a greens and <laughs> and blues, like water and yeah, maybe a splash of yellow, some oranges or other like, uh, uh, you know, accent notes in there and stuff like that, where it's tasteful and not garish or anything like that. He's polishing and, and discussing the invitation. And so then he maybe maybe Bo Chong's being a little quiet. And so he's just kind of curious as to like, well, what are you thinking? You're, you're being awfully quiet. Normally you would be super excited and giddy about this. Like, what's the deal? Well, you see, it's hard to get excited when we have a lot of tension. 
You know, I'm I'm here trying to protect you and your family, and it's been my honor to do so for such a long time. Mm-hmm. And this prospect of fighting is something where I, I just know we're going to get sucked into it. And, I mean, you're not the best swordsman yet. I mean, you have potential. I'm not trying to degrade you or anything, but you're not your father. So, I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's that, He scrubs too. a little harder in one point, that he's just like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you see, he would have scrubbed harder. He had a really good sword arm, but, you know, he had a lot of practice. And, you know, he's retired now. And, uh, it's just, you know, I, I worry about you, kiddo. It's, it's, it's what I do. I'm a worrier. Yes, yes, of course, Bo Chong. I know, I know you worry, you worry. And, ah, uh, yes, you know, they say everyone's going to be there. You know, lords and ladies, margraves. And duchesses and the Archduke himself is supposed to be there. That uh, that young, promising Archduke. The one with the fancy moustache. Oh, I always thought the moustache was very, very smart. Um, you know, I I always thought that the princess of, of Iberia would, would, it would, be, would be a nice match for him. You know? Really? They look really good. Well, you know, you don't see it, but she's she's very assertive, and he's a little bit of a pushover. So, I think that he needs a little little straightening out. You know, I think by himself trying to be a leader would not be a good thing. She is a natural leader. On the other hand, I I think there's a lot there. I do also think they both like fiddle music. Not my cup of tea, but uh, you know, if they both like it, then maybe it's something they can bond over. Oh, Chong, I didn't know you were so well-versed in politics. Where do you get the time to, to be up to date on all the latest broadsheets and all these sorts of things? What do you mean where I get the time? I'm around you most of the time, and while you're doing this thing and that thing, I observe. See, with you kids nowadays, you just go through life fluttering through. I watch everything. I watch you too. Maybe there's a shimmer of like a <laughs> bunch of eyeballs that kind of like go across to like illustrate the point, and he's like, and he stops polishing for a second and it returns to normal, and then he like very cautiously goes back to polishing his spot. So you understand these sort of things. I'm, I'm a people watcher. And eater occasionally, but mostly watcher. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for for continuing to protect me and my family, and for not eating me. I feel like at times maybe I felt a tooth poke through, but but I uh, that must be my mind playing tricks on me. No, sometimes you need a right bite in the bottom, get you in the right direction. You know, it's 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 just it's. It's a love munch. Don't don't worry too much about it, okay? If I wanted to eat you, I'd eat you. I just anytime you get into a fight, I get hit. All right, so it's it's not something that I'm generally looking forward to. That's true. You have you have seen many battles, and I know I know these dragons vex you. And surely you know we can we can revisit that. You know we might have to you know we might have to get a party together if we're really going to take all these dragons down he looks around the home that you're in the ancestral home and it sure it looks nice but maybe it's fallen on hard times you know dad's puttering around and some of the care that went into this place has kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit and he's like you know you know yeah i i I need to help dad and mom out you know my brothers and sisters you know i was the one chosen next to wear this and yeah yeah you know you you tell me these you've been telling stories about these dragons ever since i was little and all that stuff so yeah well see your father not so much your great-grandmother now she was a dragon slayer fine fine with the sword used to slay dragons all the time of course we've spent all the money at this point and now we're here Mm. so another dragon hunt might be good you know yeah. Fetch a little coin, save a little of my folks, everybody wins. Indeed, yes. And so he gets like a renewed sense of purpose and uh, he finishes polishing the armor. He'll don it back on and he says, I think it's time we head to the tailor. Let's get ready. Let's get ready for this gala. And uh, yeah, you know, you got some you got some interesting ideas, but yeah, let's see. Let's see what we can do. What we What we can do. Yeah. Always looking out for you, dear boy. I'm always looking out for you. And scene. There we go. So we did it. We made it through the random encounter. So there we go. What'd you Fantastic. think? Ah, oh, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> 
I was gonna say, how how soon until your next game with your family that you're gonna be dropping uh, this whole mimic lore into oh, your game? Ne- next next session, mimic armor is showing up. Ooh, like that, that, I, how long ooh, until the happening. YouTube video? How long until the YouTube video comes out and it goes viral? You see, I was on this podcast and I got this great idea. No one's doing it. I don't usually do DM advice on my YouTube, but this one just it hit me and I had to. <laughs> yeah so we're here in uh we're in the final thoughts section of the show and we've had a wonderful time going through everything discussing everything and and discovering this wonderful character and all this lore and everything so i always like to you know kind of get feedback on the guest experience of the podcast and your vibe check if you will Ooh, vibe check uh this was a lot of fun a lot of fun uh i i never get tired of talking to people about D um playing games and stealing their ideas because i think this is a specific medium where stealing from people unabashedly is not only the way to do things it's encouraged you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) because anything any techniques any um tropes or ideas that can enrich your game um from someone else's game is fantastic because it increases the fun. And, and, and I think shows like this and other D and D content where it's endeavoring to increase what fun you can have with an already fun game Mm -hmm. is, is a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We like to turn the world upside down on its head and then, uh, you know, re-examine things like the ecology and uh, biology behind mimics and like what kinds of other types of mimics exist in the world. So yeah, I, I love this, and I would love to try and find a place in my world, in my game, my homebrew game, to stick this whole group of metal mimics uh, that act as armor and stuff like that. And so whether uh, Alex decides to craft something and put it out there for everyone to use with all the jargon and all the technical, mechanical details figured out, or you just decide to run with it yourself, you know, that's what this podcast inspires to do is to give people tools and ideas and just good old fashioned fun. So yeah, so then as we're here in the the final closing moments of the show, I always like to leave the stage, the platform, the microphone, the soapbox, etc., to the guests. So what have you got to plug? Where can we find you online? Where can we hit the like, share, subscribe button on YouTube? Uh, and any other passions or causes that we need to know about? Oof. So many things. So obviously youtube.com slash legal kimchi. If you want to see some of the video essays, deep dives going into various topics, both social uh, game wise, all these sort of things, you might enjoy it. You might disagree with me and that's fine too. Perfectly fine. I love having the discussion. So you can check me out youtube.com slash legal kimchi. And if you really like the content and would like to support it as it moves forward, patreon.com slash legal kimchi as well. Also all social media, legal kimchi. I'm there. Uh, recently worked on the Vineyard RPG Kickstarter, which funded. Woo-hoo! We're so excited about that. Um, it is the concept of what if an evil corporation existed in your medieval RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, it works with a D&D setting, but very excitingly, it's set up for the Tales of the Valiant RPG. So it's actually designed for the Tales of the Valiant RPG. Oh, the new Cobalt? Cobalt Press. Ah, okay. Yeah. So it's it's going to be compatible to other stuff. Obviously, you can pick it up and put it in whatever game that you want, but it's going to be sort of a flagship release related to uh, Tales of the Valiant. So keep your eyes open for that. Um, I think that's about it. <laughs> awesome. Well, Alex, a.k.a. Legal Kimchi, if that is in fact your real legal name, I thank you so much <laughs> for being on the podcast, for being an awesome guest, a fellow Texan. I a tip of the hat to you. And uh, I can't wait to have you back on the podcast, making more, even more NPCs. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and SideQuests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Overcast. Or just feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. Visit our website, SidekicksAndSideQuests.com, for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the show and the guests who have been on it. To stay up to date and interact via social media, you can follow the podcast on various social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit by searching for 
SideKQPodcast. You can also find a very tiny community that's growing on Discord as well. I would love to talk D&D and showcase your fan art, stories of how you used our NPCs, discussions, and commentary. If you would like to hail the bard, simply send an email to sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com. To help this show be the resource it's meant to be, I ask that you please leave a review on iTunes. Give it five stars, why don't you? And help spread the word and share our podcast with your friends and family. Whether you're a veteran player or an aspiring dungeon master, there's something here for everyone, and I want to hear about it. As mentioned in the NPC creation section of the show, I do in fact have a Patreon. If you love this podcast and you want to help support and expand our operations, I would appreciate it so much if you would go over to patreon.com forward slash sidekicks and sidequests. No matter your lifestyle expenses, we have wonderful rewards at every level of Patreon membership tier. We have modest, comfortable, wealthy, and aristocratic accommodations, and we welcome all patrons to the Levitating Platter. Sidekicks and Sidequests is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast. Copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Common creative license, OGL, blah, 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 all that good stuff. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, four!